you know God has delivered a gift addressed to you? It's a gift that helps you conquer your fears, overcome your worry, and bring peace into your life. It's completely free, and all you have to do is open it. Welcome to Element Church. So glad that you are here. I want to welcome everybody at all of our campuses, everyone watching online. Let's just welcome one another to week three of our series entitled Joy. We've been having a great time looking at an incredibly rich book. It's small but powerful, and that's the book of Philippians. It's known as the book of joy. Paul's writing from a Roman jail cell. In 19 different times, he uses the word joy or rejoicing. And so we learn from this book how to rejoice, not because of our circumstances, but often in spite of our circumstances. If you missed week one or two, go online or download our Element Church app. Uh, watch that. Get caught up. Today, we're going to jump right in. It's week three, so we are in chapter Oh, somebody's still waking up. Let's try that one again. It's week three. Week one, we were in chapter one. Week two, we were in chapter two. Okay. Week three, this week, we're going to be in chapter three. Awesome. Next week, we're going to be in chapter And the next week after that, we're going to be in something different. You're so good. New series we're going to be starting in December entitled Miracles. And so I'm going to be teaching on how to position your life to experience a miracle from God. We still serve a miracle working God, so you don't want to miss that. Be there for that series as well. So I'm going to jump right in. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. Finally, my brethren. I'm encouraged by this as a preacher, as a pastor, because here's Pastor Paul, Preacher Paul. He is in Chapter 3, just finished two chapters, and he's trying to finish. He's trying to land the plane, and he goes, finally, like he's wrapping it up, but he still has two chapters. He's only 50% of the way done. I'm encouraged by that. I feel good. I'm not the only long-winded preacher. Do you know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Because there'll be times when we talk, and I look at my watch, and like, oh, he's wrapping it up. No. No. And so when I'll say, hey, finally, or in conclusion, or as we're about to wrap it up, all that means nothing, okay? Just a little preacher insight. So finally, my brethren, what? Rejoice in the Lord. I'm encouraged that Paul is saying, look, at the end of the day, you can still rejoice in the Lord. At the end of that phone call, you can still rejoice in the Lord. No matter where you are and what just happened in Christ, we can always find a reason to rejoice. Paul taught us in chapter 1 that we can rejoice in the midst of our problems. In chapter 2, he taught us that we can rejoice in the midst of our pain. In chapter 3, what we're going to learn is we can rejoice in spite of gain. Because often we think what we gain is what brings us joy, but we're going to find something a little bit different as we continue. So Philippians chapter, uh, I didn't finish that verse, let me finish. Okay. Finally, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but is safe for you. Have you been around church for a while and you've heard me say something and you're like, oh, that's good. And then a week later you heard me say the same thing and you're like, yeah, that's good, but not quite as good as the first time. And then you'll hear me say something, and you're like, didn't you already say that like a bunch of times now? Be careful that when you're hearing me say certain things or another preacher say different things that you don't go, yeah, 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 I know that. Because Paul is saying it is important that I continue to remind you of these same things over and over because it's safe 
for you. When you watch a championship team win, whether it's basketball, football, uh, what you'll notice when you study those teams is when they're practicing, they're going to practice the same drills that they were playing in elementary school. Back in elementary football, elementary basketball, the coach in the professional leagues are still having him do some of those exact same drills. Why? Because it's not some Hail Mary play, some fancy play that really takes teams to the championships. It's the teams that have mastered the basics over and over and over and over. Also remember this. Sometimes you're hearing something and it's not new to you, but know this, it's brand new to somebody else. And so there are times it may be a reminder to you, but for somebody else it's fresh manna and it's revelation. So don't go, well, we know that. If you get to the point where you go, we know that, chances are you don't. How do I know that? Because kids, when you have kids, right, and you remind them of their chores, we know know that. You don't do it. That's why I keep reminding you over and over. So as a spiritual dad, read your Bible. We know that. When was the last time you did it? You're welcome. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. So Paul says something like so un-American. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. What are you talking about, Paul? For Christ. Gain is gain. Paul says things that I've gained, for Christ's sake, I consider those things lost. That is so un-American because what we go is what I gain is what's going to make me happy. Happiness is in the next purchase. Paul says happiness is in a person, not a purchase. Thank you for the amen and the holy hush. (laughs) See, I love parties. How many love parties? So parties are fun, and there's gifts at parties, and especially if the party's for you, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm going to gain something at this party, and you've been excited about your birthday or whatever it is, and like, you're, you're going to gain some stuff. Have you ever gone to a surpri- your own surprise party? It's fun going through the door, and people pop out and go, surprise! And one of the things I love at parties is confetti. Because like, what's a party without confetti? So could you imagine you jump out, and somebody goes, Surprise! You're like, I'm not overwhelmed. What Paul is saying is what we tend to think the party is all about, it's that next purchase. Man, if I could just get that new car, I'm happy. If I could get a new house, I'm happy. If I could get that new pair of shoes on Jane.com, I'm happy. All I want to know is how is it that there is a package every day in my mailbox from jane.com. If I find that woman, I'm going to jail. And it's probably not even a woman. It's probably some old man. Four hundred and seventy-seven packages later, at some point, we should be able to go, Paul said the party is not in what we gain. Sometimes the joy is found in what we lose. 
What are you talking about? Paul says, often it's when I lose something that I truly gain something greater. And there are times in our life that God has allowed us to lose something because God has something greater that he wants us to gain. So I lost that car and it got repossessed so I can get a bigger one? The gain is different than what we often think. Paul tells us how to rejoice even in the midst of some kind of loss and how we can refocus on not what we lost but what it is that God is wanting us to gain. So he continues, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of more things. No, I count all things lost. What? For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I consider everything lost, everything unimportant, everything as nothing for the greatest gain that I could have of all, which is Jesus. When was the last time we got up and said, God, I just need more Jesus? If we were to analyze most of our prayers, it's, God, I need more stuff, I need more favor, I need a promotion, I need more money. But when was the last time we just said, God, really all I need is more of you? Paul says the greatest thing we can gain is not more stuff, it's more Jesus. And in comparison to Jesus, everything else is rubbish. Do you know what the word rubbish is in the King James? Junior hires, you're going to like this. Poop. <laughs> it literally is poop. Paul said everything compared to Jesus is just poop. <laughs> Boop. That's going to be the new junior hire's favorite Bible verse. Boop. See, sometimes God allows us to lose something so we can gain more of him. Because sometimes we're so full of other things, we have no room left for him. And the greatest thing we truly need in our life is simply more of Jesus. Lord, why have you not been answering that prayer to get me that new lake house at the Ozarks? Because he won't see you for six months. All he's going to get from you is a postcard thinking of you, Jesus. Thanks for the lake house. On your little sea news. See, there are sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because he simply knows it'll take us away from him. If you were to say, Lord, I really would like a little three-foot Buddha statue for my living room. Do you expect God to answer that to give you a little idol of Buddha? No, you wouldn't pray for that. But many of us are praying for that all the time. We don't call it Buddha. We call it a 65-inch flat screen. We call it a new car. We call it a bigger house. We call it a position that makes us feel good about ourselves so that we can put our identity in what we do rather than in Jesus. And there are times many of our prayers are simply asking God for idols that are designed to replace Him. When at the end of the day, He is the only one that can truly satisfy the deepest hungers and longings of the human heart. So 
So any loss that we experience as Paul, we can say, God, open up my eyes to see how it is that you want me to gain more of you. I have found that in my greatest moments of suffering and in my greatest moments of loss, what I've actually found is more Jesus. There are times that friend might be taking the place of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus uses a statement called I am, and he uses it seven different times. John records seven. And the reason for that is any of the Jewish theologians of his day should have caught on that what Jesus and some did, and that's why they wanted to kill him, what he was actually claiming was to be God. Because back in Exodus, when God was revealing himself to Moses, and he gave him the assignment, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And he said, I am that I am. So God simply referred to himself, the first revelation of his name beyond Elohim was I am. Because he just simply wanted people to understand I am whatever you need. And then through the wilderness experience, he revealed that he was exactly what they needed. He was the water out of the rock. He was the manna in the wilderness. God is whatever we need. So when Jesus shows up and says, I am seven different times, he is simply saying, I am the completion of what you need. Seven is the number of completion in scriptures. God created the heavens and the earth six days, rested on the seventh. Why? Anytime you see patterns of seven, it's always completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Uh, ten is the number of testing. That's why there's ten commandments. God tests us whether we'll love him and love our neighbor. Uh, tithe is ten because it's tenth of our income because it's a test to see who do we trust. Do we trust our money or do we trust God. Twelve is the number of divine government. That's why you see twelve apostles. That's why you see the twelve tribes of Israel. And so seven is the number of completion. And so here's what Jesus is saying in the seven I am's. I am completely all that you need. You'll never lack and there will never be an incompleteness if you are always gaining more of me. So I want to unpack real quickly the seven I am's so that you can truly see the deepest longings of your heart are really met in Jesus. First thing is this, he goes, to those of you that are hungry, I am the bread of life. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you just had a craving for a late night snack? So you go to the cupboard and you find that Twinkie and you're like, oh, that's good, but it didn't satisfy. So you pop open a bag of Doritos and a bag and a half later, it's like, I'm full, but I'm not satisfied. Sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night and you get a night light craving, I'm going to help you on your weight loss plan. Sometimes what you're really craving is not a snack of food. Sometimes it's the bread of life. It's spiritual hunger that we're trying to meet in a natural way. And so here's what I found, man. Jesus is the bread of life. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible's better than Doritos. See, if I was in charge of some type of torture environment to extract information from an enemy, not that we do that in the United States, but if we were to, I wouldn't use waterboarding. I would use Doritos. I would hand one Dorito to that prisoner, and I'd set a bag four feet away on the other side of that jail cell, and they would have, I'd have their social security number in 15 minutes. Because you can't eat one Dorito. That's torture. You know what? The Bible is like a bag of Doritos. I challenge you just to read a verse. You'll have gone a verse and a half later and go, oh my gosh, I've done one and a half Dorito verses. <laughs> when you're in the dark, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. When you feel locked out of opportunity, locked out of blessing, Jesus says, I am 
the door. When you feel something dying, you feel the death of a vision, the death of a dream, the death of a marriage, the death of a relationship. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one that shows up to dead things and causes them to come to life. When you feel some type of need, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. When you feel lost, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't know where you're going in life, and you don't know what your purpose and destiny is, I think every teenager, I know I did, I hated this question growing up. What do you want to be when you grow up? So you're a senior, what are you going to be when you graduate? (laughs) Shut up, I don't know. (laughs) What I really want to be is a professional gamer living in my mom's basement. Shut up. (laughs) That's what my son said anyway. If you don't know where you're going in life, it's okay. Don't stress out. All you need to know the one who does. Sometimes we're saying, God, show me which way to go. And Jesus is simply saying, it's me. Just get with me. Because if you're with me, you're always going to be right where you need to be, right when you need to be there. Quit seeking for the way of God and just start seeking more of God because you're always going to be right where you need to be. And when you don't feel fruitful, Jesus says, I am the vine. He who abides in me bears much fruit. Every craving, the seven deepest needs and cravings of the human heart are all met in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes, If we aren't gaining what we want or we're losing what we think we need, it's really so that we might gain more of what we truly need, and that's more of Jesus. Well, Eric, how do I get more of Jesus? How do I get to know more of him? You know what I love about this church, among many things, is you guys ask the greatest questions ever. I mean, that is a really good question. How do I get to know more of Jesus? I I know you were thinking that, so I'm going to go ahead and answer that because that's what I do. I'm a good pastor. The number one way that you have more of Jesus in your life is to have more of his word in your life. (sighs) I know that. You say that all the time. And I'm going to say it forever. The rest of your life. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. John 1, 1. Jesus and His Word are inseparable. To have the Word of God is to have Jesus. To not have the Word of God is to not fully have Jesus. The more Word, the more of Jesus I'm experiencing in my life. And here's the good news. A Bible that is falling apart reflects a life that is not. God is not impressed with the Bible on the coffee table that's in mint condition still wrapped in cellophane. Because a Bible wrapped in cellophane means a life wrapped up in other things. When your Bible is falling apart because you're in it day and night, if you treated this thing like you treated your remote control, you would be a spiritual giant by now. It's like Jesus taught us. Give us this day. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this Eastern Christmas, our daily bread. (laughs) Give us this month if I can make it to church. And fit you into my schedule, our daily bread. Give us this daily bread after I check my Facebook and make sure all my friends liked my last post. 
then I might get my Bible Pop-Tart verse in today. Give us this day our daily bread. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. It's talking about how the Father has spoken finally and once for all in these last days. He spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. And finally he's saying, the last and final word is my son Jesus. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, through whom he also made the worlds and upholding. Colossians says that sustaining all things by the power of his word. God spoke and created it was his word that created and framed the universe. It's his words that you're allowing to be spoken into your life that are framing your world, framing your present, framing your future. And what holds your life together, it's his words. When life feels like it's falling apart, it might be that you aren't allowing his word in your life on a regular basis to hold all things together. A marriage that's falling apart might be because you're not allowing the words of God to keep it together. Have you ever felt that your life was just spinning out of control? And it was just too fast and you couldn't slow it down? You remember when like, you were young and it was just like the other day, but it was 60 years ago? I heard somebody once describe it this way, that life is like a roll of toilet paper. It just gets faster as it gets closer to the end. It's like, when you're a kid, you're like, hurry up. You get old, you're like, put it back on there. How do I slow this thing down? Jesus sustains and holds all things together through his word. Uh, back when you were in science class, some of you are there now, uh, Combs Law is something that we learned back in science class. And it, and it talks about how two positively charged protons or positively charged protons repel one another. That's why when you take magnets, you take the two positive ends, you try to put it together, they're, they're, they're pushing apart. That's Combs Law. In fact, if you were to take a teaspoon of positively charged protons, put it at the North Pole, and then put the same teaspoon at the bottom of the South Pole, it would take 30,000 pounds of pressure to try to get that to overcome the, the, the repellent that's inside of that. So we got a problem, though, because we know that according to science, that Positively charged protons are packed inside of a thing called an atom. So what in the world is it that causes these positively charged protons to be inside of an atom and yet not repel one another? Scientists can't describe, explain it, so they simply have coined a term called atomic glue. That's what allows nuclear fusion to happen, is, is, is how, when they, you tap into that and release that power that's packed inside, that's what creates that atomic explosion. What holds that together? The Bible says that God, that Jesus sustains, what? Holds all things together by the power of his word. It is literally the word of Jesus that is holding every atom and every molecule together. Someday, when he returns to create a new heaven and a new earth, he will release his word and the universe will explode. He's going to create a new one. He's going to create new heavens and a new earth. That's literally what that means. Because the Bible says that, that things will melt with a fervent heat. What holds your life together when it feels like everything wants to explode? His words. When it feels that life is out of control and some of you are like, dude, I didn't need a science lesson. <laughs> yes, you did. I'm going to got another one for you. Do you know right now you're sitting on a planet 
that's spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. It's orbiting in 1,000 miles an hour, yet it's flying through our solar system at 67,000 miles an hour inside of a solar system that's traveling 514,000 miles an hour inside of the Milky Way galaxy that's flying through the universe at 1.3 million miles an hour. That means you and I, right now, we're hauling through space at almost 1.9 million miles an hour. No wonder your hair won't stay in place. We are hauling. But when was the last time you got space motion sick? How you doing today? I don't know. I just got this whole space motion sickness going on. You know, 1.9 million miles an hour. Just can't handle it. Need some more drama, I mean. You're not feeling it. Why aren't you feeling it? We don't notice it. Here's why. One word. It's called constant. Because the motion is constant, meaning it never changes, it doesn't speed up and it doesn't slow down, it remains the same, you don't feel it. When you're constant with the constant Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who never changes, when you're constant with him, it's what keeps your life from getting motion sick. You ever get sick getting out of bed? I don't feel like getting out of bed today. I don't feel like going to work. I'm sick of work. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of people. I'm sick of these kids. <laughs> What's going to help you? It's a constant. See, Easter and Christmas is not enough. Once a month at church is not enough. Give us this day our daily bread. When Jesus is the constant in your life, it's he that holds things together, and it's he that takes the motion sick out of life. It's when you get up and say, Jesus, good morning. I look forward to this day with you. It's when you talk to him and take him to work with you. Jesus, I'm going to work. Thank you that you're going with me. It's, it's when you're at the water cooler and somebody comes up and say, hey, I got a juicy morsel. Did you hear about so-and-so? You want the latest gossip? It's no. But you know what? You want to hear about Jesus? It's when you go into that next sales meeting. God, I thank you that you anoint me, that you give me favor, that you're with me as I close this deal. It's when you come home. God, I'm coming home to things that might be possessed. <laughs> thank you that you're going in there with me. It's when you're looking at your husband and you're going, I don't know what the heck is in there. Is there anything? Rather than thinking you're going to fix the problem, yelling at him, rather than maybe it's just simply saying, Jesus, there <laughs> ain't nothing there. I'm going to go ahead and talk to you. I've been talking to it. I'm going to talk to you. How about taking Jesus with you everywhere? And if you can't take him with you, then you probably shouldn't go there. I can't take Jesus into this conversation. Probably should avoid that conversation. Can't take Jesus with me to that internet site. Probably should avoid that internet site. Can't take Jesus with me to those movies. Probably shouldn't go to the movie then. If you just involve Jesus as the constant of your life, he will hold all things together. <laughs> Philippians 3.12, we continue. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. I'm so encouraged by Paul. Because if anybody was great in the kingdom of God, it's Paul. 
And even Paul says, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. And this is why you and I don't have a right to throw stones and cast condemnation and judgment on another person. Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. He said, take the plank out of your own eye before you're trying to fix the problem in everybody else's. Now, that does not mean that you can't discern right from wrong. Because in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says you can judge a tree by its fruit. You'll know whether or not they're safe by the fruit of their life. But even when you're around somebody who has unhealthy fruit, it's not my job to condemn them because only Jesus has the right to do that. Only one has the authority to do that because only one is perfect. When I take Jesus' job, uh, I'm going to save that sermon. It's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to title it Get Rich Quick or something. <laughs> Place to be packed. All right. Or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended it. But this thing, one thing I do. So here we go. Jack Palance, City Slickers, the one thing. Everybody say the one thing. Hold up the right finger. Hold up the right, the pointing finger. Hold that up and say this one thing. All right, now you're going to know the one thing. Here's the secret sauce of success that Paul's telling us for joy forgetting. Everybody say forgetting. forgetting. Now some of you are old and you're like, that's easy. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. Because as you get older, we tend to forget the wrong things and remember, forget the right things and, for, and, and remember the wrong things. So, like that. <laughs> Modeling for you what I meant to say. Those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press to the goal of the price of uh, the call of God in Christ Jesus. So earlier we were talking about that we think joy is found in the next purchase. Joy is in the next, yay, I got that, and whoa, I got that. Then Paul says, hey, I'm pressing on to something forward because Jesus laid hold of something for me. So here's what we'll tend to do. So we give our life to Christ. We tend to go to another level of spiritual maturity. And then we even go, man, joy's found in the next event. Joy's found in that next program. Joy's found in that next Bible study. And all those things may be good, but that's not ultimately what we're talking about. Now, when you go to a party, uh, better than just a little bit of this, you need one of these. And we go, joy's found in that next <laughs> event. Ushers, we have an accident over here. Um, <laughs> might need a mop and bucket. <laughs> That's great. That was awesome. That was fun, but it's over. That's an event. That next event, that next party, that next gathering, that next thing. Yay, but it doesn't last. Paul said that I'm pressing on to something greater that Jesus apprehended me for but I will never get where I need to go living in the past of yesterday. See, many of you are totally missing out on the present, and you're going to miss out on your God-given future because you're stuck in your past. And as long as you're dwelling on and remembering them and simmering on and rehashing on and reposting on, and retweeting on, and retalking on about what happened to you in your past, you're robbing yourself of your future. See, everyone listening has had something unfair happen to them in your past. Somebody hurt you, somebody abandoned you, somebody stabbed you in the back, 
Somebody said something, somebody didn't say something. You were abused. Everyone has been hurt somewhere. If you're 60 seconds old, you've been hurt. See, like when a little baby pops out and goes, Wah! see, mom and dad think those are, that's like, Wah! oh, this is amazing. Look at these amazing parents. No, if you could hear that little kid, it would be, what in the world is this? <laughs> Jesus put me back. This is the family I'm going to have to have. I'm starting counseling now. Every mom and dad has failed somewhere. Every sibling has failed somewhere. Every friend has failed you somewhere. And we all got some enemies who've succeeded. <laughs> and Paul is saying that I forget what has happened to me. I forget what is behind me so I don't miss out on the present of God with me. How do we do that? What does it mean to forget? Like somehow we get amnesia? That's not what God's talking about. There's an Old Testament picture of this New Testament principle in the life of Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old, and he had a dream, and God was going to make him a great ruler one day. His brothers were going to bow down in respect to him. He saw, saw this dream twice, told it to his brothers. They got jealous. They sold him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He's sold into slavery at a man's house named Potiphar, who's an Egyptian official. And here is Joseph for several years in this house. Then he gets lied about by Potiphar's wife. And accused falsely of sexual harassment when he didn't. She actually did. But he kept his integrity. And so he's thrown into prison. And so for a 13-year period of time, from 17 to 30 years of age, he is suffering because of somebody else's sin. He is suffering because of somebody else's lies and somebody else's wrongdoing. And here's what we know about Joseph. He didn't get bitter. Because had he gotten bitter... You would have seen that when he re-encountered his brothers in the future. Because he told them this. He said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. The Bible says that when he, he was in Potiphar's house, God was with him and prospered everything that he did. When he was in prison, God was with him and prospered everything that he did. God could prosper Joseph because he forgot. Here's what it simply means. Another word we could use is forgive. Forgiveness is choosing to forget what you did to me. It doesn't mean I'm not going to remember that it happened, but I'm not going to continue to allow your sin to hold me prisoner. See, many of you, something negative happened to you, but you're still a prisoner of that event. You're still a prisoner to that person that hurt you abandoned you and wound you. And Jesus wants to set you free. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. Not just captives of sin, but captives of somebody else's sin. You no longer have to be a victim of somebody else's sins. How? When you choose to forgive. It doesn't mean that you forget that it happened, but you choose to forget dwelling on it. It doesn't mean that you got to go out and be friends with them again because some people aren't trustworthy to be friends. It doesn't mean that you have to hang out with them because some people aren't safe to hang out with. But here's what it does mean. It's not that you're really setting them free in terms of letting them off the hook. What you're really doing is forgiveness is setting you free from their bad choices. Yeah. 
But that ain't fair. I know. Well, I want God to be fair. No, you don't. Because if God was fair, we'd all be in hell. Know this. God is never asking you to forgive someone of a sin greater than you've committed against him. But God, they hurt me. Yeah. I've been hurt a lot. Joseph had 10 brothers that sold him out. Do you know what 10 in the number of scripture is? Remember I told you earlier, 10 is the number of testing. Every betrayal, every disappointment is a test. And here's the thing. Nobody can define me but me. What you do to me doesn't determine and define who I am. It's my reaction to what you do that defines me. You aren't powerful enough. You aren't strong enough to define me. Only I can define myself by how I choose to respond. Will I choose to forgive you? Well, how do you forgive somebody that hurt you? The same way God forgave me. Because when I'm looking at them saying, hey, Jesus, they hurt me. Go get them. Is there a semi-truck laying around? Lord, just a little semi-truck. Come on, just a little something. Just know this. Jesus has forgiven me something far greater than I've ever had to forgive somebody else. And nobody has hurt me more than I've hurt Jesus. Because while I'm pointing at them, I simply see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And, he, and, and, and the Bible says that there will be the Israel that will say to him, where did you get those wounds? And he'll say, in the house of my friends. I wounded Jesus. I'm the one that put the crown of thorns upon his head. I'm the one that put nails in his hands and his feet. And his back was flogged for my sins. And so anytime I'm looking at Jesus to cry out for vengeance on them, I'm simply reminded of his scars that I put there. Again, you don't have to be their friend. You don't have to trust them. Trust is earned. Friendship is a privilege, not a right. I'm going to forgive you not for your benefit. I'm going to forgive you for my benefit. Forgiveness doesn't have to be received to be forgiven. They don't even have to be alive for you to forgive them. They may have already passed away, but you can say, God, I forgive them so I can be free and I can no longer be their prisoner to that event. <laughs> See, we want to move on to fruitful, but we have to learn to forget. Forget simply means I choose to move past that so I can enjoy Jesus now. So when Joseph is promoted out of prison and he becomes second to Pharaoh in all the land, Pharaoh selects a wife for Joseph. Joseph's 30 years old. Now, I, he, he becomes second most powerful person in all of Egypt. I have a feeling that Pharaoh would have picked the hottest available babe for Joseph. Like he got Miss Egypt. And so Pharaoh goes, hey, Joseph, I got a gift for you. There she is. And he's like, yeah. Come on, baby. We're going to obey God, and we're going to be fruitful and multiply. That's the first commandment. I remember. That's what I heard. And so he was. He was fruitful and multiplied, and he popped out two kids in a seven-year period of time, making up for lost time. And listen to what he did. This is how we know Joseph was walking in forgiveness. Genesis 41, verse 51. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh, which means to forget. And he said, for God has made me to forget all my toil in my father's house. See, he models for us what forgetfulness is. 
We know he didn't truly forget his father's house because he remembers his brothers and recognizes them when they finally do come and bow down from him asking to buy grain. He recognizes them, but he doesn't yet trust them, and he tests them multiple times to see if they're safe. He didn't forget them. He just chose to forgive them. And because he forgot the pain that happened, he has another child, and the name of the second child he called Ephraim. Everybody say Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. We want fruitfulness, but we have to first learn to be forgetful. And because he was forgetful and forgiveful, he could move on to be fruitful. You'll never truly be fruitful when you're stuck on what somebody did to you in your past where life wasn't fair and life just didn't work out. And just know this, this side of heaven, not everything is going to be fair. And that's why Paul refocuses our attention and he goes on as we close. And this, this is an actual close. <laughs> For our citizenship is in heaven from whom we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, once we go ahead and graduate from high school so I can get married and then I can have kids and then I can get my job and then I can get my promotion and then I can work towards retirement and get my 401k high enough and then I can retire and then I can get old enough and when I'm tired of changing my own underwear, then Jesus will transform my lowly body that I might be conformed into his glorious body. When we're in the middle of the pain of life, it's the forward-looking to the future of heaven that causes us sometimes to be able to get through the pain of the present. Look, life this side of heaven isn't always going to be fair, but heaven will answer every question, solve every problem, and right every wrong. Heaven will answer every question, solve every problem, and right every wrong. Heaven will answer every question, solve every problem, and right every wrong. This place on earth is just a journey. We're just passing through. This is not it. You weren't created for here. You were created for eternity. You were created for heaven. God's ultimate party won't be here. God's ultimate party is there. There's going to come a day that we step from this life into eternity and we walk through the door of heaven. It's going to be the ultimate surprise party. And it's not going to be St. Peter there going, surprise. Here's your harp and your bed sheet float around on a cloud forever. Surprise. It's not just a little hand cannon party. When we get to heaven, it's going to be the ultimate party. When we get to heaven, it's going to be a party. And after your second day there, it's still a party. After your third day in heaven, it's still a party. After a million years, Jesus says, surprise, we're still partying. A billion years later, we're knowing how to party. The world doesn't know how to party. Raves don't know how to party. That club doesn't know how to party. Jesus is the ultimate party animal. Jesus didn't come to just give you joy. He came to give you eternal joy. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, nobody move just for a moment unless your seat's wet. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you go, man, I didn't know heaven was so good. I didn't know Jesus was so good. How do I have him? It's really simple. You don't earn heaven. You don't achieve heaven. You just simply receive heaven when you receive Jesus. Because when you receive Jesus, you receive everything else that's good with him. 
Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, meaning eternal separation from God and a hell we did deserve and locked out of a heaven we could never deserve. That's why Jesus left heaven to come to earth, to hang on a cross, to die for our sins, but he rose from the dead so that he left an empty tomb so he can come and fill our empty hearts. And right where we are, we can pray a prayer of inviting Christ to be our savior. Maybe you've known him, maybe you've wandered, maybe you're away, maybe you aren't sure you're saved. Today you can join in a simple prayer. We love you. We believe in you, church. We're all going to just join in. We're going to say this together. Let's say this, church. Jesus, thank you that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I surrender my life to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I can miss hell and I can make a heaven I can never earn. Because you're so good, you are the greatest game. And I want to spend my life getting to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.